Maybe you can think of a particular person who is influential in your life. I know uh, I've had a few. I think one that immediately springs to mind is Mr. Coleman. He was a band teacher in middle school in America. He uh, was fun. He was a great musician. He believed in me and pushed me to become better, pushed me to become not only a better musician, but just kind of better in life overall. And he was a Christian as well. I mean, he took an interest in me in a time where I really needed a father figure in my life. And he w I don't think he will ever know how important he was to me in my faith and even just to my own formation as a person. And he wasn't doing anything crazy. He w didn't go through any kind of plan. He was just there with me, doing his job and caring for me. When we come into contact with influential people, our lives change. It's kind of how it is. That's guess what that means to be an influential person. And this is what happened to Paul in our story today. Meeting Jesus changed Paul's life changed him completely. What he thought was good previously was either not good at all or not as good as what he thought it was. See, Paul still had the same kind of drive he had before he met Jesus. He had the same kind of passion, but now it was realigned with God. That completely changes everything. Meeting Jesus changed Paul's calling, and meeting Jesus changes our calling. The same thing continues today. For those who have met Jesus, our callings change. That's how it is. The things that we're working, a calling is like what you're working for, what your hope is set on, wh where you pour your blood, sweat, and tears into. That's what a calling is. And when we meet the resurrected king, he changes us and is at work in our lives. And that changes kind of what we do. That changes our hopes. Now, before we met him, we were on a path kind of on our own, doing what we thought was right in our own eyes. We had some ideas on what was good. Uh, but now that we've met him, we realize that some of those things either aren't good or they're not as good as we thought they were. Some of those things either weren't good at all or some of them were good, just probably not as good as we thought. Now, if you haven't met Jesus, what we're going to learn today is about what happens when you do, like what changes, like what kind of, how does your direction change, your orientation in life? Now, all of us, regardless of where you are with Jesus, all of us need to be saved from our small, self-orientated lives, saved to Jesus' big mission, orientating ourselves around Him and around other people. There is no other cure for the self-focused, self-obsessed lives that we will just kind of live by default. There's no other cure that really works in the long term. There's no other cure also from the anxiety and burden of our self-focused, self-obsessed lives. If it's all about us, then it's also all about us to come through. And we know we don't often come through in the ways that we're good, that, that we want to. So I think all of us would do well to live more into this reality. So let's, let's, let's get a little bit into where, uh, what the Bible says today to us. So in this story today, Paul is continuing to be shuffled around. He has these uh, people who are in charge. He's, he's kind of in custody. He's in prisons or house arrests or things like that. He's shuffled around. All of this completely unjust, of course. Like there's, there's no real kind of basis for any of this to happen. He goes now in this particular story we have here, he's, going, he's gone from governor to governor. Now he's going from a governor to a king. So he's kind of working his way up that government ladder. And Paul continues to use his right to defend himself, not to put himself as front and center, which he could legitimately have and no one would fault him for that. But what he does is he continues to put God on display, continues to do that because meeting Jesus changed Paul. And when he has an opportunity to put something on display, he's putting Jesus on display. And what we're going to focus on in this message today is 
Paul's conversation with King Agrippa. This is in chapter 26, and we're going to learn uh, that meeting Jesus changes our calling. That's what we're focusing on today. It changes what we're working for, it changes how we're working for it, and it changes why we do what we do. It changes everything. Meeting Jesus changes our calling. And we're going to narrow down, actually, this, uh, this message even more, where uh, when Paul is telling King Agrippa uh, about when Paul met Jesus. So Paul is sharing his, his story, sharing his conversion story with the king here. Uh, and this is what Jesus said to him. So this is in chapter 26, verses 12 through 18. This is Paul speaking to King Agrippa here. He says, On one of these journeys I was going to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. About noon, King Agrippa, as I was on the road, I saw a light from heaven brighter than the sun blazing around me and my companions. We all fell to the ground, and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It's hard for you to kick against the goads. Then he asked, Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, the Lord replied. Now get up and stand on your feet. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen and will see of me. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I am sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. There's a lot of stuff going in on there. A lot of stuff. But when Jesus tells Paul in, in verse 16, he says, Now get up, stand on your feet. I've appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and a witness of what you've seen and will see of me. A servant and a witness. Before meeting Jesus, Paul was not Jesus' servant. He was not Jesus' witness. He thought he was God's servant, but he, he wasn't. He was working against God. And Paul was very religious. It shows that you know, being very religious doesn't prove you know, one way or another where you are with Jesus. After meeting Jesus, though, Paul became a servant and a witness. The same for any of us who have met Jesus. He has made you a servant and a witness. It's not something you become by doing stuff. It's who you are now. By the power of the Holy Spirit, remade through Jesus according to the plan set by the Father. The whole Trinity is at work to change who you are, to change your identity, to a servant and a witness. They're not activities first as much as they're our identity first. Activities come second. Now, if you have met Jesus, whether you like it or not, whether you think you're good enough or not, this is who you are. You're a servant. You are a witness. A servant and a witness. And to the extent that you enjoy being who you are will be how much we actually live into that. The more we live into being a servant, the more we live into being a witness, the more we'll actually enjoy the identity that God has given us. And this is important for us. So these are really the two things we're going to focus on today. Two points. What does it mean to be a servant? What does it mean to be a witness? If we got this as a church to be more servant-orientated, more witness-orientated, if we got this as a church that would be transformative for us in our own individual lives, It'd be transformative for us in the relationships we have with people who aren't believers yet. It would be transformative for Charlton. You don't, you don't have to be a big, massive organization to transform things. So let's dig into this. Let's start with servant. So first we have a servant. A servant is someone who helps Jesus through what we do. Now, that's a simple definition, but simple definitions don't always lead to simple obedience. It might take a little bit more. The reason this is difficult is because the broken parts of our hearts that don't want to serve Jesus 
They want to serve ourselves. They want to serve something else. They don't want to serve Jesus. And those little broken parts will peek through every now and then. Now notice that for Paul, being rescued and being called to serve Jesus as he rescues others, that's the same experience. Being rescued, being called to to be a part of rescuing others, it's the same exact experience. It's not like Jesus rescued Paul, built him up, and then sent him out. As Jesus is rescuing Paul, he is given a new identity. And part of this new identity is one that serves Jesus and one that rescues others. It's now become part of who Paul is. Being part of God's mission isn't just something for other people who aren't believers first. It's something for us. It helps. It's part of how Jesus is saving us is through his mission. The mission is first where we are rescued. That's an important point, and sometimes we overlook that. We think like the mission is just kind of like an add-on. It's, it's an, an essential part of our life. It's how Jesus is rescuing us. Being on Jesus' mission includes us. We are saved from being servants of all sorts of other lesser things. And all those other lesser things don't really deserve our work anyway. And we're saved to be a servant of Jesus. Being a servant for Paul meant using that passion that he had previously, using that dedication, the knowledge that God had given him, using those gifts for God's glory. And that changed things up. Something that was more meaningful than his other path that he was on previously. He was working for himself previously. Something that was worth more than working so that others could see him as good. Jesus is giving him a better story to live into. And meeting Jesus changed Paul's calling. It gave him something worth living for. Now, of course, being a servant on Jesus' mission also means that others will be rescued. That mean, that's what it meant for Paul, and that's what it means for us. So serving Jesus for Paul meant going to those who were overlooked, the Gentiles especially, these people who weren't religious, and serving them. It also meant serving the religious. He took up collections for the poor, for those who were back in Jerusalem. And, and those people were, were more religious. It was about being family to those who weren't yet in Jesus' family, as well as being family to those who were. That's part of the mission that God has saved Paul to. And that's how Paul acted. He acted out in that way because that's who he was. We act out of the identity of who we are. Now, Paul was a servant, so he planted churches. Paul didn't try and become a servant through planting churches. Right? It's not like Paul is, oh, if I plant enough churches, maybe then I'll be a servant of God. No, Paul is a servant, so he does those things. And Jesus here, to Paul on his way to murder Christians, is appointed by Jesus to become a servant. Paul is going to kill the very people who are, who, who are following Jesus, and Jesus himself is now making Paul a servant of him. He's now a servant. So whatever you've done this week, wherever you are coming from, no place is too far from God. There is no place too far from God. Even if right before listening to the sermon, you were gearing up to murder some more Christians, even that place isn't too far away from God. And I guarantee you, people who are listening to this are not doing that right now. So wherever you are, it's actually maybe not as bad as you think. And you aren't too far away from God. Jesus wants to meet you. And when you meet Jesus, you are changed forever for the better. Now, if you've already met Jesus, it's still easy to live in the shame and guilt of not being good enough. Because we have all these bars we set for ourselves. Jesus isn't setting them. We're setting them for ourselves. And then that stops us from progressing and living into that identity that we have. Now, of course you're not good enough. We all know this. Everybody knows that nobody is good enough. You know who knows it even more than you do? 
Jesus. Jesus knows it more that you're not good enough. Jesus knows better than you. But often what we do when we feel like we're not good enough, we don't use that as an opportunity to bring that weakness to him. We use that as an excuse to withhold ourselves from him. We don't bring that weakness of not being good enough to Jesus because we're afraid of it and because we're ashamed and guilty or whatever. But what we need to do is press into Jesus more because that weakness is where Jesus meets us. Instead of seeing our weakness um, as a reason to not press in, we, we abuse that feeling and use it as a way to keep God at arm's length, to keep him away from us, to keep people in the church at arm's length. We're not going to share our weaknesses with other people in the church. Why? Because we're afraid of what they're going to say, what they're going to think of us, because we're ashamed of it. That means we will never experience the joy of being embraced by a family, following Jesus. Oftentimes, Jesus speaks through his people. And if you're not sharing your weakness with other people in the church, you're missing out on what God is going to be saying to you, what God is calling you to. If life was all about you, then maybe that's the way you should live. Hide in your weaknesses. Hide those weaknesses away. But life isn't all about you. Thankfully, thank God, you're now a servant of Jesus. And Jesus only calls those who aren't good enough. In fact, Knowing you're not good enough is part of being good enough. Does that make sense? Maybe that's too confusing. I'll move on. It's all part of our story, right? It, we're, we're not good enough. It's part of everyone's story. As servants of Christ, we are people who aren't good enough following the one who is. That's what we are as a family. But let's drill down a little bit more into what a servant is. A servant is not the one in charge. We aren't in charge of our lives, though we love to act like it, or we would love for that to be the case. A servant does what the leader tells them to do, regardless of their, regardless of if they're excited about it or not. This particular word for servant, though, uh, was used at the time outside the Bible was used for um, to use as a term for a physician's assistant. So this is within the Bible. This, is this word being used kind of in the vernacular of the time here. Some, a physician's assistant, someone who would carry the bag, someone who would prep the patients. The physician's assistant didn't really heal anybody. They were helping the physician to heal people. And maybe the most important role for the physician's assistant was just to show up, was to be there, to be on hand. And the same is true for us, to show up and to be present for, to others, attentive to their needs, forsaking our own. I mean, I know that you who work in healthcare, how you have to stay on your feet, now you have to wear the masks, it can be super uncomfortable. Like at the end of the day, your body hurts, but you do your job because you're serving others and you're helping to heal other people. That's what it's like for us as servants. I've got to hear stories of how you in Redeemer have done shopping for others, picked up things for other people, watched other, others' kids. People have watched our kid. I've heard how you've been praying for and loving people through your jobs to your neighbors. This is what serving looks like. Now, if you lead an MC, how are you helping to lead that missional community to serve others? People in that group, if, you, if you're in a missional community, um, how are you um, helping to serve people who aren't in that group yet? If you're part of this MC, do you see an MC as something that should serve you first, or are you serving the MC? It's interesting that actually the more we give away, the, the more costly the thing is, the more rewards we get, the more of a return we get. Now, in, in our particular missional community, we've only kind of recently begun talks and prayers about what it could look like for us to serve Trollton. We're kind of having to refocus a bit. The question we need to be asked, where is God leading us? Where is God calling us to serve other people? And 
are we willing to pay that price? Because being a servant, you have to pay a price. Now, I can't talk about being a servant without talking about our careers. Because often that's synonymous with how we view our calling with our jobs. And a lot of us love our jobs and feel like we get a lot of meaning from our jobs. And that's great and fantastic to be able to have those kind of careers. So many of us got into the careers, though, for it to serve us. Think of how you spend your life. Where do those blood, sweat, and tears go? What is the purpose behind the energy you spend? What could your job, your career, what you do with most of your day, what could that look like if you've embraced more of your identity as a servant? How would that change how how good of an employee you are? How would that change how you serve customers or work with other colleagues? Jesus has saved you for a reason beyond yourself, and that's to embrace the identity of being a servant. And this is especially true in our careers. Jesus has saved you for a reason beyond yourself. Living into that reality is exciting and scary and meaningful and difficult and all of that things. It requires us to rely on something more than ourselves. And in verse 22, this is Paul talking. In verse 22, Paul says, God has helped me to this very day. So I stand here and I testify and I'm able to do this. God has helped me to this very day. That's the kind of life that we need to have. If we're servants, we're going to need God's help because we can't rely on our own power. We need to rely on his power. And God will help us to the very day that we need it. It's the same need that we have to be dependent, to be dependent on Jesus. And if we're living on God's mission, that we, means we need God to help us every day. We need it to be renewed every day. And this is how God's mission is not only good for other people, how it's good for us. Because it forces us out of our self-reliance. It forces us out of depending on ourselves to come through. It forces us on our own kind of self-will to get through it. And it forces us to something better, to rely on God himself. It's a good thing for us. And that's one way how Jesus, who has saved us, will continue to save us. So that's servant. There's a lot wrapped up in there, right? There's a lot going on in there. Let's talk a little bit about another word that has a lot going on in there as well. Uh, Another identity that we have as Christians, which is witness witness. Now, Jesus, this is nothing new, right? We've talked about this a bit. Even last week, the whole focus was on like what it means to be a witness, but there's, there's something different going on here that I think would be good for us to talk about. Jesus, when talking to Paul on his way to murder Christians, remember, this is what Paul's going to do. He's going to kill himself some Christians. Jesus rescues Paul from living in a different way and creates Paul not just to be a servant, but also to be a witness. Not just to serve in actions, but also to be a witness. Whereas servant was about actions, Witness is about words, how we speak, what we speak about, how we go about it. A servant is someone who helps Jesus through what we do. A witness is someone who helps Jesus through what we say. Jesus tells Paul that he'll be a servant and a witness of what you've seen and will see of me. So he's been given this Jesus-focused identity. For Paul, this meant not making much of himself when he spoke. I mean, he had world-class training. He did some really amazing things, yet never do we see Paul big up himself. He never talks about how amazing he is. He talks about his, uh, in other places, his uh, credibility and his authority as an apostle, but he never talks about how, how great and amazing he is. And he doesn't even do the kind of sneaky, humble brag kind of things that we've learned to do either. Like Paul is a witness not to his own amazing life. That's not what Paul's a witness to. Paul's a witness to Jesus's amazing life. And what we get to participate in that. When Paul served others, 
when Paul was in difficult positions, when Paul had people's attention, as we see in the story here, we see that he talked about Jesus. He talked about him a lot. He was a little bit bold. He knew what it meant to live in his identity as a witness for Jesus. Remember, it's identity first, and what we do comes out of that. So here we have just another great example in this story. Because we've seen this from Paul, like in the past, haven't we? He could have used this brief moment with King Agrippa. He could have used this brief moment to plead his case, to let him go, to go through all the reasons why he shouldn't have been arrested and why it's so unjust. All of that would have been completely legitimate. Like there would have been no problem for Paul to have done that. But it's, and it's not like Paul didn't do that at all, but there, there is some of that in this conversation. But what comes through above all else is Jesus. Paul's using this as an opportunity to talk about his faith, to talk about how he met Jesus, to talk about his testimony. Paul is telling his story to King Agrippa, and not just King Agrippa, but everyone around him. Paul is hearing them, hearing him, and even us today, we're hearing it as well. So we continue to hear this testimony and to, to, um, to learn through it. And Paul's story is Jesus' story. Paul knows Jesus. He knows Jesus. He's real to him. He matters to him. Paul has been rescued by Jesus. Paul desperately wants others to know Jesus as well and to enjoy this life that Paul gets to enjoy. What we're seeing here is Paul caring more for King Agrippa and the other people in the court than for himself. Paul is caring more for King Agrippa and saying things that's going that he believes will help King Agrippa, and he's not really focusing on helping himself. Now, all of us, we're all witnesses to many things. We become witnesses to what we love. If we have a great partner, we'll be witnesses to that, and others will know that you have a great partner. If we love our children, others will know because you talk about your children in a way that shows that you love them. If you come across a good film or a band or an album, others will know because you're going to talk about it. We are witnesses of many things. For those who follow Jesus, I wonder, those of you, I wonder if others know about it. Is, is it something that matters in your life enough to actually like talk about it as you would a good film or a good show on Netflix? Remember, being on God's mission is first good for us. So how does being a witness work out to be good for us? Like, What is it other than just kind of putting us in uncomfortable situations? Well, there's a few things. It stops us from putting good things as ultimate things. It stops us from putting good things as ultimate things. A partner, a family, a job, an education, a football team... These are all good things, but they're not good enough to be our ultimate thing. They're just not. We're made for something more. Only God is good enough. Only He is worth our lives. And if we follow Him, that means the rest of our lives are going to change. Some things we're going to stop doing. Some things we're going to start doing. And some things we're going to do, but just kind of in a different kind of way. The more we're living out of the identity that God has given us, of being caught up in the love of the Father, of caught up in that pursuit of Jesus and that empowering by the Spirit, instead of those lesser loves that we're kind of like caught up in, the better it is for us because that's really who we are. If we're living in any other kind of way, you're living in a false identity where it's not really who we are. And being on God's mission in this way as a witness stops us from living for small things, stops us from making ourselves the center of the universe, stops us from doing kind of what we want to do, what feels kind of good all the time. And sometimes only God himself has the power to remove us from the center of our universe because we love doing that. 
So as much as we love our jobs, as much as we love our families, as much as we love our partners, as much as we love that new Werner Herzog film, maybe that's just me, there is a love that surpasses all of that. There's a love that surpasses all of that, and it's better for us to be more involved in that love before anything else. And to the extent that we get how much God loves us, that's how much we'll live out our identity as God's witness. If, we, if you think that God loves you like just a little bit, you're not only going to miss out on the reality of God's love, because it isn't just a little bit, it's a huge, massive, crazy amount, but you also miss out on joining him on his mission through you being his witness. Jesus right now is remaking this world into something new. And if you're not joining him as his witness, you're missing out on that. Completely missing out on that. So can you tell your story? How Paul talks about here. Can you tell your story of how Jesus opened your eyes? How Jesus turned them from darkness to light, saved from working from the power of Satan to God, of how you received forgiveness, of how you now have your citizenship, citizenship with Jesus and others who follow him? That's Paul's story. And, that, and he's able to easily recount that. And that's the story he's called to be a witness to. So if you haven't done that before, if you don't know really how to talk about your story, it's hard to know where to start. It's kind of like, how much do I talk about or where do I go? There's lots of things we could say about this. We could have whole courses related to this. But let's make this as simple and as easy as possible because it really doesn't have to be difficult. Here's how to do it. Honestly share about how meeting Jesus has been good for you. It might take some thought to realize actually how meeting Jesus has been good for you, and then you can maybe talk about it. Now, if you don't have a dramatic story, don't make it dramatic. Like, if you haven't been saved through, you know, maybe you were previously murdering Christians and now you're not anymore, you don't have to, you know, make it anything more than what it is. There is no substitute to honestly talking about your faith. There's nothing like it. And only you have your story. And I guarantee you, God has put people in your life that need to hear your story. They don't need to hear somebody else's story. They don't need to go, you know, see some video of some other person do this. They need to hear your story. And only you have that to share. Now, we don't work towards being a witness. We can work in those actions. But if Jesus has met you, if Jesus has changed you, that is who you are. You are a witness. And now we get to live out of that. But you might say, but it's hard. Of course it is. It's very difficult. No one's saying this isn't hard. I mean, look at where Paul is. Paul's getting shuffled around. He's in prison. He's kind of, is he, he is, probably assumes he's just going to be killed by King Agrippa or whatever. Of course it is hard. And I know, I, I really do. I mean, I think some people have a gift of evangelism and maybe, you know, it's a little bit easier for them. I don't have that gift, but that doesn't mean I don't talk to others about my faith. And whether you have that gift or not, it doesn't necessarily make it always easy to do. And it's okay to be involved with something that isn't always easy. In fact, that's like really good for us. Even King Agrippa talking to Paul. To Paul was like, Paul, do you expect me to like convert now in this small little conversation? And what does Paul say back in verse 29? Paul says, well, short time or long, I pray to God that not only you, but all who are listening to me today may become what I am, except for these chains. Short time or long, I pray to God that not only you, but all who are listening to me today may become believers. Being a witness. We, we don't know if, if King Agrippa converted, right? We're not given that information here or the people who are hearing it in the courts. Being a witness is a long game. It's, it's a patient game because we're waiting on God to work and we do our job as it comes up. And it's difficult to do. And that's why 
We need to remember and believe, verse 22, God has helped me to this very day. We need to hear that all the time. Of course it's difficult, and this is why we need God to help us every day. We don't depend on ourselves. We depend on Jesus. The more we depend on ourselves, the more that difficulty, we'll just give into it. But living out of the identity of the witness, of being a witness that Jesus has given us, that Jesus has died for, is another way that Jesus is rescuing us from a life out of alignment with his. Now that we've all been accustomed to video chats and Zoom, I felt like there was an analogy here that might make sense. When we're on a video chat with someone, uh, when we're on a video uh, chat with someone, maybe you're on Zoom with us right now in Redeemer, and you can, I don't know if you can see people on the side or, or what it might look like for you. Sometimes Zoom can be kind of exhausting, and there's lots of reasons why that is. And it, 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 there's lots of reasons why it takes more energy to be on a video chat than it is to just kind of interact with someone in person. Now, one of those reasons, though, is often we're always kind of looking at ourselves, that own little like side kind of view of our own camera that's facing back at ourselves. Zoom calls this the self, the self view. But did you know you can hide the self view? You cannot look at yourself all the time as you're talking to other people. That's not something we do in normal human interaction, right? One to one, I'm not looking at myself. I'm looking at the person I'm trying to talk to. You can uh, click on your image and there's a little menu that comes up. It says hide self view. I think probably all of us need to hide our self-view a little bit more from our spiritual lives. We're not disregarding ourselves. We're not saying what we feel or what we're thinking or whatever doesn't matter. Of course, we're there. We're present. It just means we're not obsessing and fixating over ourselves all the time. We don't fixate on them. We don't stare at how we're doing, taking the temperature constantly. What we do is fix our eyes on the risen Lord who's trying to speak to us, but we're so busy kind of off looking at our little self-view and we're missing out on what he might be saying to us, telling us how much he loves us, telling us how much we don't have it together and that's okay. And he's working through us despite all of that. And we're busy seeing if we're looking good on our own cameras. The Lord is trying to tell us what to do next. And we're putting, it, putting that like kind of last hair into place, making sure we're, we're looking all good. Let's not obsess over our own image. Let's be overwhelmed, overcome by the image of God in our lives, who has changed us, who will continue to change us. That's what we set our hopes on. That's what we set to. That's how every day God can give us what we need for what he's called us to. The image of the resurrected Lord Jesus himself, loving us, working through us, the one who's rescued us. Let's let that govern, his lo- govern our lives. We, he can do whatever he wanted, and yet he still chooses to work through us because he loves us so much. This is Jesus. This is who we follow. This is who made us a servant. This is who made us a witness. Now, maybe some of you are thinking, like, surely not me. I'm not a servant. I'm not a witness. Somebody better than me. Or maybe you're like, well, once I get like 10% better, maybe then I can be a servant or a witness. Once I know more, once I do more, once, once I'm better, then I'll kind of really dig into this. Hide that self-view if you need to. There's a, a famous quote from Tim Keller who says, it's not about thinking less of yourself. It's about thinking of yourself less. For every time you find yourself gazing into that self-view and just kind of like obsessing and focusing, fixating on it, hide that thing. Reflect on the Lord. What he has said about his character. What he said about how much he loves you. You might have to read the Bible for this because we're not going to have these things immediately in our head. The Bible are is God's words of love to you. And he's speaking them all the time to us. If we ever want to know what God is saying to us, we read the Bible and we find out. Maybe it means reflecting on a particular 
verse or particular psalms are great for this. Like Psalm 107 is a great psalm that kind of tells over and over these stories of how God has rescued us and how God pursues his people. Or maybe it's some other scripture, whatever it might be. How are you going to hide that self-view? Because it's going to pop up. You need to figure out a way. How is it going to work for you? How is how That stops you from enjoying being a servant. That stops you from enjoying being a witness. Now, in all of this, this can't be just a me and Jesus thing. It can't be, because that's not what we're called to. That's not what God has made us to be. We don't do this alone. Because Jesus has obeyed uh, uh, unto his death. We can obey with our lives as a people, as a family. A family has people who have different gifts in different ways, and we're all called to interact with each other in these ways, because we all need each other in these ways. This is Jesus at work within our church. Jesus obeyed as a servant. He obeyed as a witness, an obedience that took him to his death for us. He died for the church. And in his resurrection from that death, he gives himself to the church, to us, so that we could enjoy being who he's made us to be as we interact with each other, as we interact with people who aren't believers yet, with all our flaws, with all our blemishes, and we get to obey with our lives. It's what we get to do. Once Jesus has rescued us from death, we're on the path of following him regardless of how we look. That's how it was for Paul. That's how it is for us. And not being good enough means we rely on the one who is. That's a good thing to not be good enough because now we get to rely on the one who is. Jesus, the resurrected king, at work within us through the Holy Spirit. That means we get to become a servant through what he's done. That means we get to become a witness through what he's done. Notice, not through what we've done. This is what happens when we meet Jesus. He meets us where we are, wherever we are. He calls us to something more and empowers us to get there. So what does your next step look like in your walk with Jesus, in your faith? Wherever you are in, in Redeemer, wherever you are in your spiritual life, what does living more out of your true identity look like as a servant, as a witness? What does that look like in your missional community? If you're in a core group, which is like small groups, two, three, four people, same-sex people kind of getting together and praying for each other more intimate ways, if you're in one of those, what does it look like to be more of a servant, more of a witness there? Or maybe you want to be in one of those. That's great. Let me know. Shoot me an email. Reply to any of the emails that come in and, and we'll get there. Now, maybe you've been listening to these messages for a bit but haven't yet engaged with us as a church. We love that you've been involved here. We love that we can be able to serve you in this way. This is why we're doing what we're doing, is to be able to serve you. What might be your next step? A simple thing like signing up for our emails might be a good next step. If you go to redeemermcr.com live, there's a sign up button there. You can sign up for your emails and hear more about what Redeemer is about and, and see maybe small ways that you can kind of get involved. Or maybe it's learning more about the, Jesus. Maybe it's more about learning uh, more about the Bible, reading the Bible with someone. You can reply to any email that we send out and we can walk with you wherever you're starting from. We can even help you figure out what that next step might be. We're not here for us. <laughs> We're here for you in order to build you up and, and to, for you to embrace and love and enjoy more of the, the life that Jesus gives. We don't want anyone to miss out on what God is doing in this world and what God is doing in you. So as servants, as witnesses, let me pray.